that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, another mini-pod coming at you here on Monday. And news keeps happening with Ohio State. Somehow, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and I cover like the only college sports program in America that is acting as if nothing is wrong um, because there keeps being news. So we appreciate you guys joining us. We'll have our normal, huge Wednesday Buckeye Talk podcast. But this is our Monday mini pod. We're dropping these extra ones for as long as the world's a little nuts. Um, And here's what's happened since the last time we talked to you on Friday. Ohio State added a transfer in Oklahoma running back Trey Sermon. So we're going to talk mostly about that. Then the basketball team lost Alonzo Gaffney and added Seth Towns. So there's a lot to talk about. And we'll start with this question from our tech subscribers, friends of the pod from the 614 If you want to be part of the podcast, you can sign up for our tech subscription, 14-day free trial, 614-350-3315. Nathan, I'll start with you. From the 614, if Justin Fields is a 10 on the transfer scale and Jonah Jackson, the guy, the the offensive lineman they got from Rutgers who became an all-Big Ten player last year, if he's an 8 or an 8.5, what is Trey Sermon going to be? I think right now I see him as probably about 6.5. I think that is is, but I also see that as maybe a baseline with 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 something more there to get. I kind of wrote about this yesterday. I think Sermon is someone who has flashed being really dynamic at times, but I don't think he's ever been consistent with it from what I've seen um, and what I've read. Watching him on film, you you see some some nice things, but there's also a reason why, you know, he, he didn't get the kind of, you know, lead back carries that some other guys get. There's a reason why he's transferring from Oklahoma because he got surpassed by someone better. So I, I'm, I'm keeping expectations, I think in check, but also recognizing that there, there is something there. It's just a matter of whether it all comes together in Ohio state's offense with his health. A lot of other factors still have to, to still, still to be determined. Steven, what about you? I would go 7, 7.5. And here's right. Just like Jonah Jackson, he's a plug and play, which is vital, especially because when you look, part of the reason why Ohio State had to go get a plug and play was at some point in the recruiting trail, Greg Shajawa wasn't doing his job. And so the numbers were low. And so now you had to go get a plug and play. That worked out and he ended up being an all Big Ten selection. Once again, a Position coach wasn't doing his job in Tony Alford. And because of that, eventually down the line, you were going to have to go find a plug and play. And they found a quality plug and play. He's not the difference between a national championship and, you know, going nine and three once again. But you had to go do this because at some point your position coach wasn't doing his job. And so in order to at least get back on track, you went and got a plug and play and then things get back to normal next year whenever prior gets here. I'd say a six or a 6.5. Um, Jonah Jackson was all Big Ten. So, I mean, Jonah Jackson came in and, like, pulled that line together. I don't think Trey Sermon's going to be an all Big Ten player. Now, I guess, is running back more important than left guard? I mean, maybe that factors into the equation, too. But the bar is really high um, for the success of recent Ohio State transfers. And, and I think he's going to be fine, as I've texted, as I've said before. I don't know that he is going to be um, a difference maker and like a difference maker in big games that he himself helps you win um, against Penn State and Michigan and in the playoff. Like, can he get you through the season? Yes. Can he be good enough? Yes. And this is what we're going to get into. But uh, I have a little trepidation that when I sent out the text after the report from Letterman Rowe came out on Sunday and then Trey Sermon tweeted, uh, shortly after that, um, normally when we send our texts, we sign our names. Um, and I forgot to like put my name on it. So our tech subscribers didn't know if it was Nathan sending it or Steven sending it or me sending it. But I sent like, hey, this just happened. And then like I ended it with like temper your expectations. And somebody was like, oh, this clearly was Doug sending this. Like there's no, <laughs> oh, here's, here's this exciting news of Ohio State getting a transfer 
at their most important vital position, and it sort of has like a negative undertone. It's like, oh, we don't need that sign. We know that's done. Do you? I mean, you guys get the text. Well, like when you get, did you feel like, am I too negative about this? Am I not excited enough about this? Because part of it is need, right? The need for Ohio State is great, and they fill the need. And then part of it is the player. Um, do you think I'm too negative about the possibilities of what Trey Sermon can do? No, I've I've written a couple of pieces now about this, and I think I've tried to, to bring that same sort of perspective to it. That I mean, let's go back to the question you originally asked on on scale of one to ten. If it's just if it's just filling the roster spot that they most needed to fill, which is a an experienced running back, just talking about what he brings from a stability standpoint, that might be a ten because he's a he's he's got. You know, three years of experience in a power five program, a sophisticated offense. He, if he shows up healthy, then he's brought some stability. But as far as being, as far as what he can be as a running back, there are still some unknowns and there's still some reasons to have skepticism of him being what you're talking about an all big 10 level back. He, I don't think he's ever consistently showed that level of production yet. So I think saying both of those things at the same time is the only way to to truly give a an accurate report on what this transfer is. I think we're giving too much credit to what the expectation for Jonah Jackson was coming in the last season. I get he was all Big Ten once he got here, but he was honorable mention his last year at Rutgers. He'd won 11 games in four seasons. Nothing. Do not hold about, Rutgers failures against Jonah Jackson. Okay, fine. Okay, fine. I won't hold <laughs> the team, but he, you're right. Yeah, Rutgers is his own problem. But it's not like Jonah Jackson was first team All Big Ten before he got to Ohio State. That's true. He was an honorable mention guy. He, I, I honestly think it's the same level of a, of a, tra- a graduate transfer, a guy where you need a plug and play position of a guy who can play right away. He's shown some things in flashes, but whether it's because of the incompetence of his athletic program or injuries or whatever it is, he was not. It was not Justin Fields coming here. It's the same level. You needed a guy in a position who could play immediately, and you wouldn't got one. And now, if it turns into an All Big Ten select selection for him, that's amazing. But at bare minimum, you have an experienced guy who's at least played, you know, at this high level of college football before. So well, I don't see it being the, the, different than that. Yeah, at some point, the eleven wins in three years thing does come into a factor because that's why. Jonah Jackson had no chance to be anything other than honorable mention, probably like guys at Rutgers aren't first team or second team all big 10 usually because they're not winning any games. And that's where some of that recognition comes from. So coming here and getting exposure definitely helped elevate him to another level as far as just how people thought about him. But Trace Sermon has been in the backfield of one of the most prolific offenses in college football, a team that gets to the playoffs pretty much every year. And you know, he got hurt last year, but he was already losing carries before that injury happened. So, again, that's that's kind of where I think – and, again, and, and, and it's not like Big 12 offenses are known for – or Big 12 defenses are known for being these, you know, stout, shut-you-down defenses. So, again, I think there's reason for optimism, as I said at the beginning, and, and maybe he can build off this and do something more. He's going to be playing with a really good offensive line. He's going to be playing within a, an offense that's just as dynamic or, or even more so than what – Oklahoma was putting on the field in the past couple of years, but I don't expect him to come in and be J.K. Dobbins by any stretch. So, so I want to. So now I'm gonna listen, people. We're just being realistic. This is certainly better than not getting him. It's better than not adding a running back, right? You, you're adding a guy who has played in big games for a big time program. That's a good thing. This is. It is not a negative for Ohio State to add Trey Sermon. So we are just trying to be realistic about what to expect. I know my negative lather can spread throughout this podcast. So I just, I, I can hear the people saying already, oh, what is happening? It's wonderful. It's great. He's certainly better than adding nobody. And he's probably one of the better running backs out there. We are How just many of the people- being realistic. Yeah, how many of the people who are saying that you're being too negative for bringing this up about Trey Sermon were also concerned about the running back situation when it was Master Teague, Steel Chambers, and Marcus Crowley? It's the same thing. Like, there's reason for optimism, but there's reason for skepticism. I think I think Trey Sermon is sort of lumped in with that 
the yeah. level of running back, he's just more experienced, right? So, yes. and that's better than not being experienced. So we're going to let, we're going to get into this. Again, this is a mini, our minis are still pretty big, um, but we're going to let our questions sort of guide us through this. From the 614, this is a very important part of this. What are your thoughts on the quote, prone to injury label? I feel like there is no real substance to these claims. Injuries happen and they don't say anything about a player's body. So Trey Sermon hurt his foot in 2018 and missed some time. So, like he, he got hurt against Kansas and I have some numbers and was in a walking boot. And that sort of is what opened the door on some things. And then in 2019, he was playing and then he, injured his knee and missed like the last five games. And it was very unclear um, sort of what this knee injury was. Um, but when Trey Sermon talked to Austin Ward at Letterman Row, he sort of, it was the most information I had seen about it. And he said it was an LCL injury. And that is much less common than an ACL or an MCL injury that people talk about a lot. And so I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night and did 90 seconds of internet research. The LCL is the ligament sort of on the outside of your knee. The ACL is sort of in the middle of your knee, holding stuff together. The LCL, an injury there is not as serious as an ACL. An LCL injury often doesn't require surgery, not often, you know, much less often than an ACL. And, and Trey Sermon told Austin Ward that he would be, his doctors told him he'd be back to full health by May. So someone had asked, like, if there was spring football right now, would Trey Sermon be able to take part in it? It sounds like no. This guy has heard enough that he can't do anything right now. But by, by 90 seconds of internet research, an LCL seems somewhat less serious than an ACL. So it's a knee ligament, which was the issue here. It was an undisclosed foot thing before. I think sometimes it is unfair to apply like injury prone labels to guys because sometimes you just have bad luck. And if you get tackled a weird way or you get tackled a weird way twice a year apart, it's not your fault. I do think it's clear this guy's, his injuries have had an effect on his career though. Does it feel like that's a fair thing to say you guys? A little bit. He got hurt. I think he actually got hurt during his spring game back Correct. in 2018. Initially. Um, yes. Yeah, and he didn't miss um he didn't miss any games that year. He played all 14 games that year. He did have only the one carry against Kansas and then came back the next week with five, but then seemed to be back at his usual usage for Big 12 Championship game and the playoff. So when I think of injury prone guys, I think of guys who are constantly missing time. And as opposed to a guy, so that to me is not really necessarily the concern with him. The concern with him more is how serious was the injury last year and are you ready for – I guess it's kind of a Marcus Crowley thing. So we still haven't seen Marcus Crowley play football since he got hurt during last season. His may have been more significant, but still, that's kind of the unknown to me when I mentioned his, the injury and the stuff that I've written with uh, about Sermon, just that we don't know yet exactly where he's going to be on the first day of fall camp when that comes around. Here's what I'll say, do it again, 90 seconds. Well, this is actually a little more internet research. So going back to 2018, um, he, because when you look at his highlights and I want to get into, I, I watched a bunch of his highlights. I want to get into to his highlights a little bit as well. Um, in 2018, I was trying to look like for him being a workhorse, right? And the most uh, carries he had in his career, and these showed, this showed up in the highlights. There's a lot of highlights from Texas Tech on his highlight reels. In mm -hmm. November, November 2018, he carried 26 times for 206 yards mm -hmm. against Texas Tech, 7.9 per carry, three touchdowns. The next week, he carried 16 times for 124 yards against Oklahoma State on a one-point win. That was that crazy Oklahoma State-Oklahoma shootout. So that was him being a workhorse. The next game against Kansas is when he got hurt on his second on his first carry he had one carry mm -hmm. for five yards in that game right that is a line in the sand in his career he had in the the two games before the kansas game texas tech and oklahoma state that i just talked about again this is november 2018 he carried 42 times for 330 yards 
okay, in those two games. That was sort of peak Trey Sermon. He then got hurt against Kansas the next week. Since Kansas, not including Kansas, but since then, he has played in 11 games with 86 carries. So the two games before Kansas, he had 42 carries for 330 yards. The 11 games he's played in since Kansas, the end of 2018 and all of 2019, he has 86 carries for 481 yards. So his his usage, his production just dropped off the table. So when you look at those Texas Tech highlights from 2018, he's running people over. He's fast. He's making cuts. It's like, wow. And just based on how much he has played, it doesn't feel like to me that that's the player that you can now expect at Ohio State because with two separate injuries, his usage has just gone way down. And so he hasn't been a 20 carry a game back at Oklahoma. I don't know that you can expect him to be a 20 carry a game back at Ohio State. So it's not about being injury prone. It's about, to me, how the injuries you have undergone have affected you as a player. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there's also some parallels here. In 2018, it almost it reminded me a little bit of the Master Teague situation on a different scale because obviously Teague was only playing later in games for Ohio State and then his production dwindled off late in the season, but it was dwindling off against the best teams that Ohio State had played to that point. And the same thing kind of for Sermon too. I mean, um, his numbers aren't great against Texas and Alabama in the Big 12 championship game and the, and the, and the playoffs, but obviously a higher caliber team, I would argue, than Texas Tech and Oklahoma State and Kansas and, and, the, and those sorts of teams. Um, but you're right. I think to me, again, still last year, it's, it's a combination of, of whatever was still potentially lingering for him. And then the pa- fact that he got passed up, um, but he wouldn't have started ahead against JK Dobbins if he was at Ohio state last year too. So th- that, that's all relative to it. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's a bad back. Um, Oklahoma may have something special going on there. So um, again, I, I just, it, it, it's, it's both things are worth mentioning. I mean, he is the same back, the same back who got 206 yards and three touchdowns on only 26 carries against but, Texas Tech and who did look good doing it is the same back who has had trouble getting on the field since then. But, but that's my think, whole point. I'm not sure yeah. he is the same back. That's the yeah, whole point. I, I agree with that. I think what, like, it, I, I wouldn't call it injury prone, but the, when you do have one serious injury, it can unravel a bunch of small little knickknack things that you're not injury prone, but every week you're on the injury report listed as questionable just because we never really know if you're going to be able to make it through the week and be, or be at your tip top shape the way you should be every single week because of one serious injury that opened up everything else. So I wouldn't call it injury prone, but one serious injury can open up for things like this and aren't that serious, but serious enough that you're listed as questionable every week on an injury report. From the just, not- just to further clarify, this is kind of what I wrote. That now he gets a chance to prove, like, are you that guy anymore, or was that something that's in your past? Right. And so what we're trying to dissect with the available information at the moment is which guy is he going to be? And I am not expecting the 26 carries for 206 yards and three touchdowns against Texas Tech in November of 2018, that is not what I'm expecting at Ohio State. I doubt he carries the ball 26 times in any game this season. So, yeah, I agree with that, yeah. From the 917, with an advanced Justin Fields and the stability on the offensive line, he really doesn't need to be J.K. or even Mike Weber, does he? This is sort of now we're getting into how he fits in. And we talked about this before, sort of like when people, we were theorizing about Trey Sermon being here. What do they need him to be? Six yards, a carry, 15 to 18 times a game. That's I mean, a, I, that's a high bar. That's a high bar. Yeah, that's I mean, high. I guess. But, I mean, when we were envisioning this, when we thought Master Teague was going to be healthy and when we were thinking that they were going to have a, a healthy um, – Marcus Crowley, I think it's still that same range, right? I mean, I I don't know they don't. You're, I think they're right. I don't. I think they don't necessarily need a J.K. Dobbins like output in order for this team to have a successful season. Um, but I also don't know that I don't know that this is a guy that you're going to lean on to get it done all by himself either. 
we had sort of talked about with Master Teague and Marcus Crowley and everybody how they would do it. Would it be a timeshare? Would it be someone emerges as the number one? And this to me, um, I think it's fair to assume that Trey Sermon is number one on the depth chart. But to me, this feels like a guaranteed timeshare that, that I don't think, yeah. I think he's the number one back, but I don't think he's going to be used like a number one back, if you know what I mean. So here's my question. Okay. Here's a, maybe a better would. I mean, J.K. called a failure, but like whatever. Is what J.K. Dobbins did as a sophomore, 4.6 yards per carry, barely over 1,000 yards on 230 carries, is that decent enough for a team that's going to have a Heisman-level quarterback who's also a run threat and the wide receiver threats that he's going to have and the offensive line that they're going to have? To well, win a I think national a better championship, to win a national championship? Yes. Probably not. I think they need it to be a little better than that. Yeah, I, that's it, it's also that's I understand where you where you're coming from on that. I don't want to completely blow up the exercise here, but it's also a tougher com, comparison to make because I think if you took that sophomore year JK Dobbins and put him in next year's Ohio State offense, he probably gets more than 4.6 yards a carry. It's just a different dynamic what that offense can bring out onto right. the field. Um but I no, I think it's got to be better than that still. Um, I, it's just got to be more consistent than that. This team, teams are going to have to respect the run at times next year. It can't all be what this passing game is, and it can't all, the running game can't all be on the shoulders of Justin Fields. Like, right, but teams, that, defenses are going to have to respect the run game on early downs. But that's the difference here. Is when I'm, like, it was J.K. Dobbins not being good, but also Mike Weber being eh, and Dwayne Haskins was just not a run threat at all. So if you have okay from your starter and you add the fact that now your quarterback is a run threat, is that enough? That's why I'm asking the question. What I'm basically saying, if if, Dwayne, if you put Justin Fields in that 2018 scenario, would that have been good enough to win a national championship? Because we're going be to make our, up for the, we're yeah. gonna spin ourselves in a circle a little bit. I mean, the, the 18 offense is so different. We acknowledge that Dwayne and Justin are so different. I think the point is, I think it's okay if when you're running zone read, if Justin is the number one threat in that equation, but the running back has to be enough of a threat that if the defense collapses on Justin, they make you pay. So I think that's, I think that's the difference. And so they didn't do that with Dwayne. Um, I, I think Justin is good enough to be really dangerous, but if you make, if you make Justin give it, that back has to do something with it. And so is Trey Sermon good enough to do something with it in that situation? That's the question. And, and I think, I guess my answer to that question is, is probably, but I don't think it's a hundred percent. Yes. I think this also goes without saying, but we're also talking about everything in relation to where this team is on September 5th, you know, who's ready to be the lead back and who, who's ready to produce for this running game on September 5th. The answer might be different on a month into the season, six weeks into the season. Um, obviously they have a huge game just two weeks in at Oregon, but there, there's time, there's a, there's time for this answer to emerge during a season. If there's somebody like master Teague or Marcus Crowley needs extra time to get back to full strength and then, shows himself to be a big part of this solution. Um, so that's something I want to throw on the table too, that I don't know. We keep talking about the whole season as if it all depends on who's ready at the start of fall camp or September 5th or whatever. That's not necessarily the case. And I do think so in that scenario, how do you think things might change over the course of the season at running back? I, I could definitely see them doing something similar to what they did that, that two years ago where they, they go with multiple guys um, if they have to, or if they feel like they need to, it, I, okay. I don't know. I think there's, there's, there's still just you, so many unknowns right now though. But, but let's, but that's, well, we're, we're here to make good guesses on unknowns. Okay. Right. This is the question. Who will be Ohio state's leading rusher among the running backs who will gain the most yards in the Oregon game? and who will gain the most yards in the Michigan game? I'll go first. I think Trey Sermon will gain the most yards in the Oregon game, and I think in the Michigan game, 
it'll be either Master Teague or Marcus Crowley. I agree with that. Uh, I definitely think it'll be Sermon against Oregon. And I, I guess I would still lean Sermon probably for the Michigan game. Okay. So maybe I'm contradicting myself, but I'm I'm leaving open the possibility for what you guys are talking about that we hadn't introduced before that this that there may be multiple answers to that question. Because I think there is a difference between the get you through the season back and the get you over the top in big games back. That can be different. It's great if it's the same guy, but it can be different guys. And I think, for instance, we saw that in 2016, Mike Weber was sort of their get them through the season back. And then in the Michigan game, they gave the ball to Curtis Samuel and said, win us the game. And Mike Weber didn't touch the ball very much. So I think that could be something we're looking at. From the 3-3-0, I don't know who that came from. This is the text. But, man, the negative undertones, Sermon, if healthy, has major upside with a floor of 1,000 to 1,500 yards. Um, from the 8-4-3, at least it'll be leadership and experience in a room with not much. Not the Jonah Jackson story, though. You're right. Um, five, one, seven, any idea of his speed tried to find his 40 time online, but didn't have any luck. Thank you guys. You're the best. Look forward to your podcast every week. I didn't find a 40 time. I watched the highlights. Did you guys watch any highlights? I did. Yeah, I did. What's your highlight take? You know, I, again, I, I kind of wrote about this yesterday. It was I, I thought you saw, even back in that game from his freshman year at Ohio Stadium, I thought you saw some things that were impressive. Um, but it's, you know, I also thought that every time I saw something that impressed me at first, then when I looked at it again, sometimes it was like, okay, well, he breaks into the open and, and then, um, and then kind of bowls over Damon Arnett and gets a couple more yards. I'm like, okay, but that's like sophomore year cornerback going against a running back. I don't know who's got a full head of steam. I don't, I don't know how impressed I am by that on, on second look. I mean, it, it is, but it also, again, it's just one of those things where it gets mitigated a little bit when you look at it in the full context. So, um, But he, he, I, I did like his elusiveness. I thought there were a lot of clips where um, once he had a hole and he could get into space, you saw him doing things where he could change um, you know, change field and, and flip things and, and have the defense chasing him for big gains. So th- there's something here. It's just a matter of how much does he create on his own. I think he's going to be decent because the offensive line is really quality more than because of what he can do as a runner, which is fine, but, you know. I I thought he had some good vision. He definitely has a cutback move that works for yep. him. Um, there were times when, like, he would get into the secondary, and sometimes there wasn't, like, the, the next level pull away for a touchdown thing. I would say, and this is probably the case with every highlight reel. It's why it's a highlight reel. And none of us went back and watched full Oklahoma games. Um, you watched the highlights, and then I looked at the stats, and the highlights didn't match the stats to me. It was like he would have highlights in mm-hmm. a game, and I'd say, man, that was like a bunch of plays of him dominating. Let me look at the stats from that game. It's like, oh, he had eight carries. There was a game against Texas in 2018. It was this the shootout with Texas that Oklahoma lost 48-45, but they rallied and drove down the field in the final three minutes to tie it at 45 before Texas responded and won the game on a field goal. They threw a swing pass to Trey Sermon where he – broke a tackle at the line of scrimmage and got down the sideline for like a 30 yard gain. Then they ran him between the tackles and then they pitched him the ball on an option pitch. And he was the game tying drive in the final three minutes. Trey Sermon was the whole drive. And I was like, wow, that is a guy in the middle of the season against their biggest opponent in a huge game, in a huge moment, dominating. And then I looked at the stats, and he had yeah. nine, nine carries for 54 yards in that game. So, like, he hadn't done anything all day, and then he had all this energy with three minutes left in the fourth <laughs> quarter to look awesome. But when you watch those Texas highlights, when you watch those three plays, I would have thought that guy must have had 20 carries for 150 yards that day. So some of his highlights are so good, and then his stats sometimes don't match it. It makes me think, man, what is he doing on the plays that aren't the highlights? And I haven't watched the plays that aren't the highlights, but that's the issue. Do you get stuff that's not there? And and there's I mean this is not it does it's not a criticism. 
he, when you give him a giant hole, he'll do something with it. A lot of guys do stuff with giant holes. I thought Mike Weber did stuff with giant holes. What happens when there's not a giant hole? Now, a lot of the time in 2020, guess what? Wyatt Davis and Josh Myers and Harry Miller and Thayer Munford and Paris Johnson or Nicholas petit Frere, they're going to be blowing open giant holes. So you just need somebody who can get through them. I have some question, perhaps based on my ignorance, about what he's going to do when a giant hole's not there. Yeah, the only time I did watch a full game of his was the 2017 game at Ohio Stadium. And there again, you had a freshman going on the road against Ohio State. So he had some good moments, and then he also had several runs where he was just bottled up at the line of scrimmage. And under the circumstances, again, in full context, I don't know how much I, I would use that to be, make any kind of a, a a call on what kind of running back he is today. So I think that is something worthwhile is going back and looking at you know more recent games, looking at every carry he had maybe from last season just to see – to get a better view of, of what he actually is right now. He had some good runs in that game, and yet he was 3.6 yards per carry. So to that, yeah, his, when when he has an opportunity to be special, he's special, but he doesn't do it consistently enough for it to, you know, match what again, maybe your initial eye test says. Yeah, but I, what I'm saying, I also, again, under the circumstances, a freshman going on the road against Ohio State, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how much I, I look at that 3.6 as any kind of indication of what kind of back he is in 2020. Yeah. So again, 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 we're just being realistic. The guy is a good football player. We don't know exactly how healthy he is. And we're just questioning. We don't think he's an all big 10 player uh, from the four two, three. Mostly I think Sermon bridges the gap until master Teague makes it back fully healthy from the injury. It makes things less dire at the position. Sermon, Crowley, Chambers, and then Teague after injury is a solid group. I think that makes a lot of sense, and that's a good way. Um, that's a good way to look at it. I think. Uh, if all he is is as good as a healthy Master Teague or Marcus Crowley, or a little bit better. I think that's still really important for Ohio State. From the 602, I'm concerned that he's coming off the same injury as Marcus Crowley. Also, if he were a game-changing talent, he'd still be a Norman. Their staff viewed him as expendable, so it's tough for me to be over the moon about this. But he's better than me suiting up for the Buckeyes. Again, I just we're, we're, we're trying to get people's headspace in the right place. From the 419, I watched seven minutes of his highlights, and I like what I saw. Seems patient and physical. I get what you're saying about tempering expectations, but no shame in feeling excited about adding a legitimate college back with some legitimate big game carries into the mix. I think that is a really – I think that is a really good perspective. Um, I think that is smart, excited, but realistic. Um, even if we get Mike Weber quality versus what we had in Dobbins, will that be, be enough to keep fields, um, to keep the run threat there when you have fields coupled with that back? And that's the whole point. I don't know that he has to be J.K. Dobbins. So two points. I don't know that he has to be J.K. Dobbins, but also he's not J.K. Dobbins. I think about J.K. on that wide zone sometimes. That could be explosive. Like he felt dangerous in that moment. I just – he's not going to be as dangerous as J.K. Dobbins. But so he's – he's point one is he's not J.K. Dobbins, but point two is they probably don't need him to be J.K. Dobbins. So I think those are the two points. I think those – I think the three of us probably agree on those two points, right? The thing that I'm just – I just want Ohio State fans and everybody listening to have an understanding of is that he's not J.K. Dobbins. I don't think he's 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 definitely not Ezekiel Elliott. He's not J.K. Dobbins. I'm not. I don't think he's Carlos Hyde. I think he's like whatever level below that, which is which is fine. You know, they don't have anybody like that. So as long as you're thinking more maybe in the Mike Weber kind of range, then I then I think you're okay. And Mike Weber could be productive at times. But are we in agreement on that? He's not J.K. Dobbins, but they don't need him to be J.K. Dobbins. Yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I want to get to a couple other things. I thought this was interesting, again, trying to figure out what all this means and just analyzing the information at hand. In the 2019 season last year, Trey Sermon had, against Kansas, he had 11 carries for 71 yards. That was his... Most that was his biggest workload. He had 11 carries against Houston in the opener. 
He had 11 carries against Kansas for 71 yards. The next week, they played Texas, right? We're talking about in 2018, down the stretch, they leaned on him in the Texas game. In 2019 against Texas, he did not have a carry. He did not play. He was healthy, and he did not play. And this is what Lincoln Riley said afterward. It's just some of it is the way the game went. Jalen Hurts is eating up some of the carries from some of the backs this year. It's a competitive backfield right now. We've had other very talented backfields in the last several years here, but I don't know that we've had one with as much depth as we currently have right now. So Kennedy Brooks had 10 rushes for 105 yards in that game. Kennedy Brooks, who clearly passed Trey Sermon and became the number one back. Ramondre Stevenson had six carries for 37 yards. That's what we're talking about here. This is before his knee injury, when he's coming off a game where he was used a lot against an inferior Kansas team, and in Oklahoma's biggest, biggest regular season game of the year in 2019, he didn't play. Do you find that instructive at all? I do think it, it's worth mentioning. It is part of the dynamic that we, we talk about Ohio State having a running a quarterback who can run the ball. It's different than what Oklahoma had, and that is part of the where the carries get split up for them. Um, the, the way that you know Murray and Hertz would run the ball for Oklahoma is different. Um, they were a huge part of the game, getting a lot more carries on a consistent basis. But yeah, I think it tells you a lot that they could go into a game that big, and if he's fully healthy, um, think that they could get by with not having to give him the ball at all in any way. Um, that again, that, that goes back. It doesn't mean he's not a good football player, but it does tell you something. I think it was that, but also I think I read somewhere that he didn't necessarily fit into this. His skill set didn't fit into that RPO skill set scheme that Oklahoma ran with Jalen Hurts last year, which was part of the reason why his carries and his playing time dwindled as the season went on before getting hurt. Yeah, I mean, again, part of it, and, and J.K. Dobbins had trouble in the RPO scheme they ran with Dwayne Haskins, right, in, in, in 2018. So it's like, again, but, but I wouldn't expect a Dobbins-type bounce back again. And I wanted to, this is my last attempt to put his stats in context, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up a little bit. 2017, when Trey Sermon is a freshman, you go to the Big 12 and the leaders in yards per carry in the Big 12 in 2017. He's third in the Big 12, 6.15 yards per carry. The two people ahead of him are two other Oklahoma running backs. Abdul Adams averaged 9.19 yards per carry, and Rodney Anderson, who was their main back, averaged 6.18. So Trey Sermon averaged basically the same as Rodney Anderson, but again, that's the context, right? He was third in the Big 12, but he was third on his own team. 2018 average yards per carry, okay? Trey Sermon is... Eighth in the Big 12 at 5.7 yards per carry, 5.77. First is Kennedy Brooks, the lead Oklahoma back who passed him that year, 8.87. Second is Kyler Murray, 7.15. So he's averaging almost six yards a carry, but he's almost three yards a carry behind the number one back for Oklahoma that year. Okay, so again, context for his stats. And then last year, in 2019, he didn't really run the ball enough to qualify, but Ramondre Stevenson from Oklahoma led the Big 12 in yards per carry at eight. Kennedy Brooks was second at 6.5. Jalen Hurts was seventh at 5.6. And Trey Sermon didn't qualify. He averaged around seven yards per carry. So he was a little bit ahead of Kennedy Brooks in yards per carry, but Kennedy Brooks was used much more. My context of, of is this. The offense that Oklahoma runs tears up the Big 12 no matter who you put in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you give the football to somebody who has any athletic skill and speed, Lincoln Riley is going to scheme something up to get that person yards. So when you look at Trey Sermon's stats, come in with that understanding. It's an excellent offense. There's a lot of terrible defenses. Now, Guess what? That applies to Ohio State in the Big Ten in a lot of ways, too. Okay, so I'm not demeaning his stats. I'm just telling you for what he did at Oklahoma. He was kind of like 
an average Oklahoma back. And I tried to look at Kennedy Brooks for context. Again, Kennedy Brooks a year younger than Trey Sermon, passed him on the depth chart. When you look at some draft projections for like the 2021 NFL draft, very cursory look by me. Kennedy Brooks is not a guy that people are projecting as a first round pick. It's not like Trey Sermon. It appears it's not like he got passed by, um, you know, Ezekiel Elliott. So, so like, again, he's a good player who lost his job to a guy who is not necessarily a superstar. And I just want everyone to, to keep that context. Just one last piece of context. Um, in 2018, he was averaging 6.2 yards a carry going into that Kansas game where we talked about before, where he got hurt. And then over the next four games, loses almost half a yard off his average, whether that was the competition they were playing, whether that was the injury, probably a combination of both. But again, just further context that against the, against the usual Big 12 competition, that was more what the running back he was, 6.2. All right, that's our Trey Sermon discussion. Let's do a quick basketball discussion because, again, basketball news all over the place. Alonzo Gaffney, uh, who was a big part of the DJ Carton recruiting class, also is leaving the program. That was announced in the last couple days. But Seth Towns is coming in, a Columbus kid who had played at Harvard. Um, Let's talk about the Gaffney transfer first. We understand how, how how much potential DJ Carton had. Alonzo Gaffney was like a top 50 national guy, wasn't he, Stephen? He didn't do anything at Ohio State, but weren't there high expectations coming in for him? Yeah, it was a big deal when Ohio State first landed him to kick off this 2019 recruiting class. He was the number 50 player in the country, number 12 small forward. If you saw it's, if you saw him walking down the street, you would think that kid's going to be a first-round draft pick somewhere. If you, The arms, the length. The height, the athleticism, everything about him screams what Anthony Davis looked like when he was at Kentucky, just physically. Now, obviously, you get him on the court, and it doesn't necessarily match that. Some of that is he thinks he's a perimeter player when Ohio State needed him to be a post player. And then when you're a post player, you're playing around behind Caleb Wesson, who's not coming off the floor unless he's in foul trouble. So I don't know if he ever really fit into what Chris Holtman wanted him to be at Ohio State. I don't no necessary if he was just not good enough as a true freshman to get on the court the way maybe you his ranking would suggest he should have been but it never really worked out you know he played 115 total minutes the entire season so carton ej liddell alonzo gaffney and ibrahim diallo am i saying his name right steven ibrahima diallo ibrahima diallo they were the four-man ohio state recruiting class in 2019 They were the number one class in the Big Ten. They were the number 14 class in the country. DJ Carton, number 34 overall player, gone. Mm -hmm. EJ Liddell, number 44 overall player, still here. Alonzo Gaffney, number 50 overall player, gone. So we understand. I I, I don't – it's like I don't, like, blame Chris Holtman for anything that happened with, with, with DJ Carton, and I don't know that I blame Chris Holtman for anything that happened with Alonzo Gaffney, but they got Ohio State got a lot of credit on the way in for bringing in three top 50 guys. And a year later, mm-hmm. two of the three are gone. Not great. Right. Not great. Yeah. No, I don't. All three of those guys should have had expectations to be on the floor this past season in some regard, even obviously EJ Liddell and DJ Carden did have a role in this team. And what happened with DJ Carden is a one, I'm not going to say one-off, but that's a different situation to try to deal with for any college coach. But Alonzo Gaffney's situation is something that college coaches deal with all the time when you get a true freshman who's highly rated who just does not work out. And it's not completely on you, but you're still the adult and the coach in the situation, and you have to make that work for the kid. And it doesn't seem like that happened here. And whether it was on the court or off the court, it never from day one, it never worked out. He didn't play in the first game against Cincinnati. And then obviously he would play in, in the garbage time against some of the teams there where you knew it was going to be a 30-point blowout. But there was never an indication that Alonzo Gaffney was ever going to have a role in this team. All right, let's move on to Seth Towns, Columbus kid transferring in, uh, Ivy League player of the year in mm-hmm. 2018, hurt last year. Um, how much of an impact is he going to have on the Ohio State basketball team? Is he a starter next season for Ohio State? If he's healthy, he can, he's probably going to lead this team in scoring. It's that simple. He's a 
He's a walking bucket. He can score at all three levels. He's, he's proven that at the high school level. He's proven that at the college level. The only problem here is he hasn't played. Yeah, he hasn't played basketball in two years. So this summer, he's going to have to do some playing catch-up because he's been in a suit for the last two years watching games. But if he's healthy and he's anything like what he was the last time he was on the basketball court, he's probably the team's leading scorer next season, which is a breath of fresh air for a team and in a conference who relies so heavily on post-scoring, back-to-the-basket, old-school basketball, for Ohio State to come in and have a wing and have the type of wings that they're going to have next year, that's going to put them at an advantage. Doesn't that seem like a huge layoff for a guy who's trying to make the transition from the Ivy League to the Big Ten? Yeah, it is, but he was a lot more talented than a guy who ended up going to Harvard. Him going to Harvard was more – he's a sociology degree. He has sociology major, 4.0 student in high school. He could have come to Ohio State straight out of high school. Him going to Harvard had – yeah, basketball, but it was more about what he wanted to do off the court in his future than it was on the court. So, yes, but not really given who who we're talking about here. Seth Towns, freshman year at Harvard, 12.5 points per game, 44% shooter. Sophomore year at Harvard, 16 points per game, 42% shooter, and then missed um, last year. So will he have – he has two years of eligibility, or you expect him to only play one? He's got two, and I expect him to use both of those years. He's not okay. – he's not NBA ready for sure. All right, so so I want to save this um, for the big Wednesday podcast, and we'll make sure we take uh, questions from you guys and everything um, for that before we get to there. But – I just find all of this interesting. I have some, I would like to get into a little bit of like the, our overall mindset about transfers and what they mean for Ohio state. But um, it's just really interesting where two proven ready to play guys, one in basketball, one in football just fell out of the sky for Ohio state over this weekend and, and what that fact means for sort of Ohio state led athletics in a world where um, transfers are just going to be more and more a part uh, of the college athletic scene. So we'll save that for Wednesday. Uh, we'll make sure we take a bunch of questions from you guys on Wednesday, but we wanted to get in on Trey sermon. Um, we'll get into more bracket talk on Wednesday. It continues to roll through our favorite modern football Buckeye. We're halfway through the first round at this point. Um, the balloting for the uh, Urban Meyer defense region just wrapped up. Uh, we are next moving into the Jim Trestle defense region, and then we'll get to the Urban Meyer offense region, and then we'll be done with the first round. But we'll deal with that more on Wednesday. Uh, anything else you guys want to add before we go? Any, any uh, progress in the uh, movie bracket? Um, oh, big update. Okay, this is – this. hold on to your hats. Um, Coming to America bombed. Wow. Really? And here's the deal. What was it up against? Uh, it has not – the game is not over. It's facing Bohemian Rhapsody, which is up next. But we have scored coming to America, and it did not score well. Um, old comedies, the pacing, the the, and I feel like it's the same thing that, you know, if someone – showed you some like it hot from the forties or whatever. And it's like, well, you know, it's a different time. We remember coming to America. We remember the barbershop scenes. We remember Randy Watson and sexual chocolate, like all those <laughs> moments. I mean, what is better than sexual chocolate? Oh, right? it's, it's I mean, amazing. The, the rest of the movie, the other like hour and 50 minutes of the movie where like Eddie Murphy is falling in love. It, was a little slow for the modern era for the sort of, it just feels like you get, everything gets faster and you know, it's it's just like NBA. It's like, I mean, it it would be like, if like, I don't know, like Carl Malone, you're like, Oh, Carl Malone's great. And then you played Carl Malone in the NBA today. And like Carl Malone (laughs) Malone couldn't even like get up and down the floor with the way they play today. It would be like, Oh, I remember that Carl Malone was good, but in watching it today, it's not the same. So pacing just killed it. And I was disappointed because like, I didn't even enjoy the rewatch that much. I enjoyed the, 
I enjoyed like the four scenes that popped to your into your head, but as a full movie, it, it didn't do it, man. You guys know, like, do you know what I mean though by that idea? Yeah, like, just a movie from the eighties. Yeah, no, definitely. I've I've rewatched um, within the last couple of years. Rewatched some of the old um, John Hughes movies. What's the one with uh, um, what's the one with the Asian kid? Um, oh, that's yeah. pretty in pink, right? Yeah, um, I think that's right. Just an absolute travesty. Like I don't understand why it was funny at the time when I finally saw it, and then now then to rewatch it in, in the current context, it's it's really miserable. Um, I could definitely see though, and I mean this is no disrespect to your your daughters, but like the the barbershop scene even, and when they're talking about Cassius Clay and Joe Frazier and stuff, like that's probably not in their like pop culture wheelhouse to begin with. And then to, to find the humor in it would even be a bigger stretch. So I will say, though, I think this could be like a Butler-UConn National Championship game result where it's really low scoring, but somebody's got to win. Um, and both teams are missing like every shot and every free throw because, hot take, Bohemian Rhapsody is a bad movie. It's bad. Yeah, right? People – because like the, the Freddie Mercury guy won the Oscar for Best Actor, but the movie as a whole has not been reviewed well. Yeah, I yeah, don't know. I, I think his performance is also overrated, but the movie as a whole is just a scattered mess of – just like the worst kind of biopic uh, cliches. Yeah. Honestly, that, that movie, all it did for me was show me just how many hits that thing, that musical – Music's had. great. Like, yeah, of course. But like, it's, when you make movies like that, I think it's more like, man, I didn't realize they had this many hits than because, you know, the acting. But yeah. I'm very disappointed in how well – you know, coming to America is doing. I think I need to watch that today in order to. Yeah, I'll be curious. Like, spirits. when's the last time you watched it, Stephen? It's on maybe a lot. about it, maybe well, maybe six months ago. Okay. And you no, you might be right though because I'm anticipating the comedy coming, so it is a little different than if I'm just watching it from scratch. Yeah. So yeah, you might be right. So anyway, so but they we'll also they probably also never watched ER, so they didn't have the perspective of seeing Eric LaSalle pop up in this. 80s comedy out of nowhere and being like oh my god yeah. what is that like there's a lot of things that would have made it really funny for us that i don't know that your especially your daughters probably would have necessarily had as as part of their movie watching experience right and that's the thing i mean everybody makes their own bracket you make the bracket for your audience so uh yeah it did not go over as well as i would have hoped so um all right we'll keep you guys updated again the plan is to drop mini pods uh monday and friday big uh, normal regular buckeye talk two plus hours every wednesday we appreciate you guys hanging in. Uh, so for now, for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.